G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. But our conversation today is going to be about how things have changed over these past few generations in particular that have tempted Christians to embrace the world's shallow philosophies and meaningless influences. Our special guest today describes these changes like a Trojan horse welcomed at the gates of Troy. She says these influences have elevated self and pushed God aside. In fact, she says the world has indeed converted the church to selfism. However, rather than be pessimistic about the challenge, she says it's time for the next revolution, resisting the cult of the self and returning to biblical truth. Cindy McGarvey is National Director of Youth for Christ Australia. She has a military background and served as a missionary with Wycliffe Bible Translators for 12 years. Her new book is called The Next Revolution, Resisting the Cult of Self, and our absolute privilege to have Cindy as our guest today. Cindy McGarvey, a special welcome back to 2020. Hi, Neil. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you today. Cindy, the next revolution, resisting the cult of self. You describe this as a little bit of a Trojan horse, this whole issue around self. The Trojan horse infiltrating the gates of Troy. How do you, uh, how do you see that? Yeah, well, it's actually how I see it is that there are many different philosophies and ideas that are counter to the teachings of Christ that have infiltrated the church and they've infiltrated the world, you know, generally infiltrated culture. Primarily one of the main ones is Marxism Um, and, and they've come into the church and we've adopted them unknowingly. Well, you've sought in your book, and I might say an outstanding book, and the idea of stripping those things back to their ugly foundations and helping the Christian believer to see what has been going on with clarity and wisdom. So stripping them back to ugly foundations, you mentioned Marxism. We'll get on to Marxism in just a few moments. But uh, ugly foundations are where these self-focused areas are. Yeah, that's right. And um, Paul says in Colossians that he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces, other other, uh, versions say doctrines of demons rather than Christ. And so their ugly foundations are from human thinking of what we thought, oh, well, this is probably right, or even doctrines of demons. And it's really interesting, Neil, I heard this quote the other day, that the early church was more afraid of heresy than of martyrdom. And um, I think we can learn a lesson in that. 
Yes, and uh, more afraid of heresy than martyrdom. And uh, you mentioned uh, Fox's Book of the Martyrs. And uh, throughout history, over that 2,000 years, yes, there are uh, the history of the church is littered with martyrs who've stood up against those things which have false and wrong foundations. Your book is not just about exposing all of these ugly foundations that we've somehow come to adopt. It's also a book of hope. And uh, I remember talking to you about one of your earlier books around the Jesus Revolution. And uh, we're talking about 1970s here. And uh, your opening chapters describe the Jesus Revolution of the 70s and say it's a little bit like a tsunami but the people in the church were not really ready for the shoeless and the showerless. And when God moved on those uh, empty things of the 1970s, uh, the church was not ready for it. So while we're going to talk about those ugly foundations, we're also wanting to talk about this new revolution you're talking about. And somehow or other, we have to be able to recognize that when it comes. Yeah, so... So I start this book off, Neil, with explaining about what happened in the 60s and 70s. So everyone, when they look back, they remember that the 60s and 70s was this massive cultural revolution that came mostly out of the U.S. and it just poured out into other nations, particularly the other Western nations. But in amongst that, in amongst, you know, the Vietnam War times, the sexual revolution, the, um, the women's movement, the psychedelic revolution, all of those things that were, that were happening and uh, the threat of world war and uh, the hate bomb and uh, things like the Cuban Missile Crisis, in amongst all that, all of these hippies um, just got converted. There was just this revival and no one knows how it happened or where it came from. And it was it was like a spontaneous combustion. And it started, they say officially, um, that, that, that it started in San Francisco at, at what they call a summer of love. And that was almost like the schoolies that we have where during the summertime, all these young people gathered together for music and partying and drugs and free love and all that sort of thing. And that's where it started. And um, these young people who were beaded with long hair and taking drugs, and um, they just came to Christ. It was a, an amazing thing that happened and no one quite knew uh, how to take it or what to do about it or was this a genuine move of God. So the challenge is going to be, while there is these ugly foundations that we're going to talk about today, the things that have uh, been become the cult of self, uh, these things we need to be on the lookout for when there is a move of God, because we might anticipate that a new revolution is brewing there, because your book is about revolutions, lots of revolutions, but many of the revolutions, and let's come back to uh, this very significant influence on the revolutions uh, that we've seen, the philosophies that fueled the uh, the Marxism. Uh, Karl Marx, uh, a very influential philosopher of uh, the generations uh, since his time, 
Uh, you've spent a fair bit of time just unpacking the Marx influence on a lot of the revolutions that we've been subjected to. Yes, that's exactly right. And in fact, when I started writing this book, I had no idea about the influence of Marxism and how it permeated. And it under, you know, it, it was the foundation of a lot of the movements of those days, the psychedelic revolution, the women's movement, um, the uh, sexual revolution and all that sort of thing. So, you know, just to give you an example, um, if we look at this, um, the sexual revolution was about dismantling the traditional morality and the beliefs around sexuality. And um, this was a big thing in, in Marxism because they Marxism is about dismantling the structures of society. And you hear even today now, you know, destroy the patriarchy and things like that. It's about dismantling fatherhood and motherhood, that children belong to the state. Children should be trained and raised by the straight, a, a state, that a woman's place is not in the home. A woman's place is in the marketplace uh, working, you know, joining the workers of the world. In fact, with the feminist, well, it wasn't called the feminist movement. It was called the women's liberation movement or started with the women's movement and then became the women's liberation movement that, you know, the whole uh, underlying um, message there was that women shouldn't be in the home. Women should be out with the workers of the world. And so um, men and women were owned by the state and they went out to work and children were sent to school and raised by the state. So uh, all of those ideas came from Marxism and so as I just, as I dug deeper, you know, the environmental movement that started with um, things like, you know, really genuinely wanting to, to be good stewards of the environment and stop the pollution and things like that. There were things like the H-bomb that were scared that it was going to destroy the earth and all of those sort of things. But that gradually was infiltrated by a Marxist view of the world. Um, and, um, you know, the peace movement, the peace movement to weaken Western nations. Um, yeah, there was many things, the psychedelic revolution, free love, um, rebellion against the norms of society, and that all contributed to the breaking down of traditional structures, particularly the family, so that, and they are Marxist ideas. And you spend a little bit of time just talking about Marx and his uh, personal life, had no training in economics or politics. Uh, he was married with children, but his family were often destitute because he refused to work and relied on the handouts from his parents. He was a devout atheist, and he taught that all the structures of society would need to be dismantled and restructured. And something in Marx captivates people, especially those who turn their back on God, uh, because as his atheism is expressed, uh, you've got to sort of do it all yourself and uh, try all of these different uh, ways of influencing and leading and governing a society. So the system of government that he has makes all the citizens subservient to the state. If we are at this point... Cindy, turning our back on God as a nation, 
then doesn't that actually say the future is subservience to the state? Isn't that the direction that you're even warning? Uh, this is upon us if we don't actually return to the things of God? Yeah, that's a that's a really good point, Neil. And I think people like to be looked after. And so they vote for a government that looks after them and leads them. And, and that um, compromises our freedom. But I think, you know, one of the things you were saying, what attracts people to Marxism? And I think apart from being looked after by the state and completely um, mothered or, you know, they call it the nanny state, is that it, it appeals to our sense of compassion because, of course, we see that there are so many injustices in the world today. There are poor, the rich seem to be getting richer, uh, people seem to be getting more oppressed and all those sort of things. And so people want, um, people are genuinely compassionate and they want equality and they want um, everyone to be able to live equally and with equity and all that sort of thing. And I think that's one of the biggest things that uh, attract people to the Marxist views or to socialism and so on. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our special guest is Cindy McGarvey. She's National Director of Youth for Christ Australia. A wonderful organisation. We'll talk a little bit about that shortly. But her new book is called The Next Revolution, Resisting the Cult of Self. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Cindy, I mean, in some sense, uh, jumping to the end of your book, what's the focus of your book here? And that is a new Jesus revolution in some sense and what that might look like. But given that you've talked about the Jesus revolution from the 1970s and speculating about what it might look like where, a, where there's a new revolution, uh, how do you see things uh, be- becoming a reality for people who are looking through these sorts of issues right now and what that might look like? Yeah, well, um, I write in my book about in Time magazine, they did in 1970 or 71, they they had a front cover of the Jesus Revolution and they had an article about all these young people coming to Christ. And the, the three characteristics that they described these young people were, was purity, selflessness, and brotherly love. Now, I had that really stuck in my mind because I was thinking, all right, if young people, because I believe that the next revolution, meaning uh, a revival in the church, would happen first among the, this generation of young people, that they would lead it. And if we think of those three characteristics of purity, selflessness, and brotherly love, in, in, the, um, in light of purity, one of the things that's happening with our church, you know, and I write about it in my previous book, Lost Boys, is uh, the, the pornography epidemic in the church, like 78%. There was a stat that was done, a survey that was done a year ago, uh, by Barner, I think, 78% of young people, 18 to 24, consume porn. And I think just recently something came out in eternity that 65% are pastors. 
And what we're seeing is that young people, particularly young men, are entering young, you know, adulthood sexually broken. And so if purity is a uh, characteristic, and it was a characteristic of early church as well, you know, we're not seeing that at the moment. And that purity is a counterculture to, uh, it's counterculture to today. Um, selflessness. And, you know, I, obviously I talk about the cult of the self. Everything is about self, and we call today's generation the me generation. They're a result of us, of the boomer generation and, and all of these structures being um, broken down. And so that all, all that's left is self, and we're all about self and self-promotion and expressing our true self and finding self within. And it's so much in the church and with our young people. And also brotherly love, that's what they were known for. You know, the church is so divided. But um, imagine if our young people, if the church was recognized by the secular world as, as um, people of purity, selflessness, and brotherly love. And so that's how, you know, that's one of the ways that I, I'm seeing things. It's a matter of identifying what it takes. So purity, selflessness, and brotherly love, some of those things mm. that marked that Jesus revolution, you're saying the next Christian revolution needs to throw off empty philosophies. And so where we don't embrace purity, we're not embracing selflessness, we're not embracing brotherly love, it's likely because we're embracing some of these Marxist ideas from all of these different movements and revolutions that have been impacting on us. So we've got to be able to throw off those empty philosophies. If you don't get to a point where you recognize what the empty philosophies are, you're not going to be able to throw them off. So that's what a, a conversation like this is about today, dethroning the self. Let's come back to some of these uh, issues. Uh, you mentioned the sexual revolution. Uh, you mentioned the feminist revolution. There's also an environmental revolution, but let's start with one of these at a time. Uh, come Stay with that sexual revolution for a few moments because what we might have seen back to the 1960s and into the 70s continues on today, and it's even more significant. Uh, you're talking about boys being broken, uh, broken by the time, sexually broken by the time they hit manhood. Uh, this sort of thing is very challenging, but it goes even deeper than that with the trans revolution. All of that's part of a sexual revolution, isn't it? Yeah, it definitely is. And, and, and all of that thinking comes from not just the dismantling of family. We've gone even further, uh, you know, the dismantling of fatherhood and motherhood and family. We've gone even further to dismantling gender. And, it's, and then if you have a look at it much more closely, it is the separation of the body and the personhood. So the personhood could be a different gender to the physical body. And all of these, again, uh, can be traced back to Marxism and the, philo the subsequent philosophers. There's a whole group of them who have a Marxist foundation. So um, in regards to the sexual revolution, I, I needed to say that all of these revolutions sort of overlapped and they fed into each other. So, for example, the psychedelic revolution, all of these young 
people, especially the music and entertainment industry, you think of all the bands uh, of the day, of the 60s and 70s, a lot of them all taking psychedelic drugs. Um, you know, you think of the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and Bob Dylan and Jimi Hendrix and even Elvis Presley. But um, they took uh, psychedelics, LSD and marijuana. And in taking LSD, in taking these drugs, the really important thing is that it took them to a higher consciousness, to a virtual world, to a different consciousness. And that led them into all sorts of different spirituality. And... Um, and they and they they wrote their songs with this influence, and and their songs were all uh, promoting um, things like they were glorifying rebellion and self gratification, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You know the hedonistic lifestyle, and so that also fed into the sexual revolution, which was again, about dismantling the traditional morality and beliefs around sexuality. So, And that was when actually sex was decoupled from marriage. You know, yeah, so all of these fed into each other. And women, you know, for example, women were, are considered in all societies as the sexual gatekeepers of society, meaning that women generally were very careful not to have sexual encounters due to the risk of pregnancy, and their families protected them, especially their fathers. So when, you know, when there was this free love message and, you know, during the 60s and 70s, that's when um, contraception was made available, abortion became available. Well, women began to break out and break free of all those sexual constraints. We're taking and, calls yeah. on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. A couple of minutes out from news, let's take a call, Cindy. Brian is in Blackburn in Victoria. Hi, Brian. Need to be quick. What are your thoughts? Um, I just I tend to think uh, that the world wants to block out the true message of Christ or God and an accountability to Him. It's trying to find peace elsewhere. Um, it's it's basically that's that's my view. Brian, good thought there. Cindy, have you got a thought for Brian? Yeah, I totally agree. Blocking out the true message of Christ, that's a really good way of of saying it. And also um also and and they do that through all these different philosophies. Because people if they heard the true message of Christ, they would be saved. So, uh, you know, I totally agree. Thank you for that, Brian. But, Cindy, I'd love to come back to what we started talking about in our first uh, segment a little earlier. Karl Marx being the most influential philosopher of our time and fueling so many of the revolutions that have all, as you say, overlapped in all of this and I just wanted to come back to just some of those revolutions we're talking about more modern times these are revolutions that really resulted in huge bloodshed uh, over the last 100 to 200 years I wonder whether uh, you've got some thoughts here on say the Bolshevik revolution and uh, issues that happened under Mao Zedong in China or the Kim dynasty in North Korea what ones of those do you reflect on most when you're talking about the influence of Marxism? 
Yeah, well, mostly I talk about the Russian Bolshevik revolution, and that was a, a revolution that you can really relate to because uh, there were many people, the people, there was a really, the majority of the people were suffering for centuries from imperialist rule with, you know, this massive under, uh, ill-treated underclass and, uh, you know, the peasantry. And then there was the aristocracy or the ruling class. And so rightly, they they saw that there was so much oppression and so much power keeping these people down. And so... When they, uh, it was Lenin, Vladimir Lenin, um, he grabbed power and he ended that structure and, well, that imperialist rule. And it was welcomed with celebration and hope and all that sort of thing. But the Bolsheviks, they became the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, obviously um, informed by Marxism. And so <clears throat> those aspirations to rid society of the systems of oppression um, you know, with great aspirations, but imposing the solution of Marxism had an absolute devastating effect and consequence on all of the people. It was so much upheaval because the government, to implement communism or Marxism, you had to destroy all the structures. So, and the government had to own everything. So they had to seize the property and value valuables of private citizens. You know, those who owned much or those who owned little, they had to take over all the religion because the religion was the opiate of the people. You know, the places of worship, churches, cathedrals, temples, um, you know, manufacturing to farming had to be taken over by the government. Um, you know, even businesses and farms that had been in family lines for, you know, generations, the government took over all of that. And, you know, the state became as God. There was a new world order, a new order. And not only that, they actually had to, to take over how people thought, uh, you know, to control the opinions and the private thoughts of people. And so that's obviously called totalitarianism. And that was implemented so that the government, you know, had central and dictatorial control on its citizens. And that meant... A lot of people had to be killed because or re-educated or removed from influence or locked away or destroyed because um, that's what you need to control people. So the new order needed total control and uh, it's not just the Bolsheviks uh, that we're talking about here but also uh, uh, Mao Zedong, uh, the Kim dynasty in North Korea, uh, the mm. rise to power in Cuba, uh, Vietnam, Cambodia. And in all of that, when you've got the government that assumes total control, the Marxist idea, then you've got uh, millions, even hundreds of millions of lives lost. Uh, in fact, you have a quote in your book saying that Marxism is the greatest plague in world history. And, uh, and perhaps we're not recognising that as we ought to. Yes, yes. And I don't think people know or understand that. And I certainly was not taught that at school. But I did, uh, you know, during my childhood days, because uh, I did understand the dangers of communism, and I think many of us did, because... 
we were raised during the time of the Cold War, which ended in 1991. I think the the Berlin Wall fell um, in 1989. But we grew up in that era, and so we understood the threat of communist and socialist ideas that were devastating to people. But now um, it's not taught. It's actually taught that communism or socialism is actually uh, good because it's about equality. It's about um, relieving oppression um, and bringing about the good for the collective and all of that sort of thing. And so they don't, because they haven't learned that history, they, they are not aware of the dangers we are taking calls on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Cindy, let's take another call. Graham is in Tasmania. Hi, Graham. Welcome along. Good morning. Uh, you know, I was in the early sixties when this hippie business got going, and now I'm quite a bit older. And the thing is, this is now in the Bible it talks about uh, about the second commandment about worshipping God, and it says that those who won't worship him, who hate him, he'll be cursed to the third and fourth generation. And we're in that generation right now. And the other thing is, if the generation today, our children, come to God, and we're in times, where are they going to end when the false prophet comes on? Who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow scripture, or are you going to follow man? We're sort of there, aren't we, already, Graham? People are choosing not to follow God and they're looking for who they can follow and what they can follow and they're finding themselves into uh, some of these revolutions that have got this Marxist foundation. Cindy, what are your thoughts for Graham? Yeah, I think that one of the things in our church, and this is what I'm seeing with Christians in general, is they have a very low level of biblical knowledge. Some have said a kindergarten level of knowledge of the Word of God. And, you know, people who are parents like me, you know, I have young adult children and they've left home, but uh, people of our generation, I find that a lot of them have have such a small knowledge, biblical knowledge, that they are led astray very easily or they adopt things. And so with this generation having a, a low level of biblical knowledge, then we bring, we're bringing children up that have even, an even less knowledge of um, the Word of God and they haven't got that yardstick to be able to measure um, what is right or wrong. And so... That creates a problem because when our young people go out into the world, they see that their arguments are very good arguments and they don't know how to be able to um, refute those arguments from a biblical worldview. And they cannot tell uh, if they are right or wrong. And here's one of the narratives of the world that typically, you know, like it's okay to do anything as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. Or you be you. All of these sort of narratives that you hear, how do you refute those things uh, from a biblical perspective? And people, you know, young people are just not equipped. And that comes back to discipleship. 
They're not equipped to know how to discern and how to refute the narratives of the world. Graham, good insight. Thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. And uh, some will be thinking, Cindy, well, what are you suggesting? Because uh, I might say, well, we've got Christian media. That's at least a, a good start, a good step there for at least bringing some of these things to the fore. But uh, is reading your Bible daily enough? What you're suggesting is we have to actually get really deep into things, not just read, but study and understand a Christian worldview and the way that it connects and relates to the challenges of today. Yeah, I, I think it starts with parenting. I think from the very start, now I talk about selfism, but uh, children are born with a natural innate uh, selfishness. And we all know that as parents, we have to teach our children to, be, to deny self. So, you know, I write that, you know, I know having children, the first words they learned was no and mine. And it was all about self. And we have to train our children to be selfless, to, to think about others and to care about others and not just self. And so it starts from there. And, you know, we were talking about influences, you know, the baby boomers and, and the influences of the 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, was Dr. Spock. And he wasn't the Star Trek character. He was considered the world doctor. And um, he was a pediatrician and psychologist. And he wrote this book on how to, um, and there was subsequent updated editions on how to raise children. And Dr. Spock was a Marxist. Uh, he, was, he ran for the Socialist Party um, in the US. He actually ran for president. And so everyone had a Dr. Spock book. This is what I'm hearing from the older people. I had no idea a book about child-centered parenting and all about your children's feelings and uh, less structure and less order. And so I believe discipleship and training comes from childhood and parents have lost the art, Christian parents have lost the art of child-rearing because they have uh, inadvertently absorbed the world's um, advice on how to raise your children rather than, you know, the, the biblical knowledge of how to raise our children. How in how many thousands of years have Christians lost the art of child raising? And we're looking to the world. So discipleship starts from parenthood, uh, parenting, training your children in the Word of God, um, and also in discipline and selflessness, and then um, the church and your fellowship and all of those sort of things. And you have to teach them to love the Word of God. But um, in order to do that, I mean, it has to be reflected in our own lives. So it starts with parenting. And let me just dig a little deeper here, Cindy. I mentioned that you have a military background, a little bit military mm -hmm. here. When you talk about a new revolution, you're talking about the development of what you might even call a resistance cell. And you say that the Christian family needs to be a resistance cell. That's what you're talking about when you say parents need to take responsibility here. The other thing you talk about is the local church becoming a resistance cell. So if you've got this revolution happening, if you want to counter a cultural revolution that's overwhelming our own lives, our own families, our own children. 
uh, you've got to be able to think a little bit militarily like that. Uh, put your uh, your military hat on here and tell us about resistance cells and how they might work. Yeah, well, that actually, that isn't my, they aren't my words, actually. I wrote them in my book. They come from um, a book called Live Not By Lies by Roger Ayer. Uh, and he talks about... Uh, he does did a lot of interviews of Christians under the Soviet communist oppression. And he goes back and he interviews them and said, how did you get through all of this? And so he's the one who talks about these resistance cells. And he says the family should be a resistance cell and the church. And in regards to the family, he said, you have to have strong united families. And this is what stuck out to me. You have to teach your children how to read the world. Meaning, and we just talked about it before in discernment and understanding, you know, scripture and how to measure and how to see what is evil and, and where are these thoughts and ideas and philosophies coming from? Are they coming from the word of God or do they come from somewhere else? So that's, that's what he means about resistance cells, um, strong united families that are disciplined, um, and that understand the word of God and understand the world and culture, which I think is really lacking. The other resistance cell, he says, is the, the church, meaning fellowships, because they couldn't have, you know, churches. As we have today, uh, it was an underground church and, and people uh, were in small fellowships and homes and they were very close and, again, there was that, purity, selflessness, brotherly love, how they had to look out for each other, how they had to put their lives on the line for, um, for the sake of, of uh, their Christian brothers and sisters so they wouldn't get arrested or persecuted or tortured and all of that sort of thing. So um, that's what I mean about the resistance cells. Great. We'll come back to some more about what a Christian life looks like when it's in this revolutionary mode in just a few moments. But let's take another call. Chris is in Melbourne. Hi, Chris. Welcome. G'day, Neil. Uh, I'm not sure how relevant this is, but I'll just say it. I've got uh, some information from uh, a well-known charity organisation, a name that suggests it's pretty Christian, and they were gushing about a chaplain slash counsellor and all the things that this person does. So I just took a chance to look up the website and in it, you know, there's pictures, I stand with LGBTQI and all that sort of stuff. So we've got to be careful about who's counselling our kids as well. You know, this is the problem. Chris, good thought there because that brings us right into the present and challenges that are being faced even around the thought of chaplains in high schools. And Cindy, you might be across this, uh, uh, schools being given an option to have a secular counsellor rather than a Christian chaplain. Uh, the sorts of things that those counsellors that are embedded in our schools actually stand for, that might be a, a bit of a challenge and a concern. Cindy, any thoughts for Chris on that thought? Yeah, that's uh, that's very interesting. Uh, we don't have chaplains or counsellors, so I'm not all over that. But I do know that um, what Chris has said, many people have come to me and said, "Hey, look, I, uh, you know, our local Christian chaplain um, has embraced these sort of things and different things like that." And they've asked me, you know, what I think of them and all that. 
I would probably say to that is that many of them have no idea about the influence and the ideas behind those things. And I think just um, educating them and um, helping them to understand that and so on would would be, um, it's, it's just a symptom of what's happening in our church nowadays. But I also would say I know many who are really fantastic who who are all over this sort of thing as well. But yeah, that's a really good point, Chris. Chris, thank you so much for your call. And I don't think we've got any time for some other calls. So we'll put a line under calls from there. I do want to spend a few moments just asking you what the Christian believer needs to look like if you are to be a revolutionary and to resist this cultural revolution that's taking over. So there's a, you know, we're talking revolutions left, right and centre. The next revolution, resisting the cult of self, uh, you've got some insights uh, from Tim Keller that, uh, that talk about what we're supposed to look like. What, do you, what have you been reflecting on here, Cindy? Yeah, well, Tim Keller says that when the world um, is most like the world, it loses its relevancy. And so, hang on, did I say that correctly? So when the church yep. is most like the world, it loses its relevancy and therefore it dies. Because it, it loses its distinctiveness. And therefore, the church has to be distinctive from the world. And Timothy Keller wasn't the only one who said it. There were so many who said those things, like Matthew Henry and others. And so um, I, I think, I mean, just those three characteristics that I talked about before, you know, brotherly love, purity and selflessness. And I think... Um, even just those th- in, in those three ways, if Christians regained the purity and the brotherly love and the selflessness, I just think um, we would go a long way. That's totally counterculture. And we need to be the counterculture. We need to be in the world, but we not of the world. And so um, I think if we are a distinct counterculture, and we live in um, in victory and in joy and in peace um, and in confidence of um, our faith and our stand of why we do what we do and ha- why we live as we live, we will um, really impact the world. In your book where you're quoting Tim Keller, you say uh, his insights are the church was unified. I think he's reflecting on the countercultural church from the book of Acts uh, and perhaps Mm -hmm. uh, some other earlier church movements, but the church unified, community of forgiveness and reconciliation, renowned for practicing hospitality, committed to the sanctity of life, a sexual culture which was one of virtue. Uh, Sexual discipline, he notes, was remarkable. It's one of those areas that uh, every single individual needs to look at. Uh, But all of those sorts of things, marking what the Christian looks like and anything short of that uh, may well actually mean that the revolution uh, shrivels up or peters out quickly. Uh, There has to be a real sort of changing of the heart, doesn't there, Cindy? Yeah, absolutely. There has to be a change of heart. And, um, you know, that, that's why 
you know, I talk about uh, the next revolution. It has to be a revival within the church. It has to be a revival within the hearts of Christians. Um, that's the most, uh, that's what I, I think needs to happen. And we need to get back to the basics of what Jesus taught. We need to deny self and to radically follow him. And, and it is a radical lifestyle. Cindy, for listeners to connect with you, uh, the yfc.org.au website, uh, you're the National Director of Youth for Christ, an amazing organisation. Undoubtedly, you'd love to connect with listeners to support Youth for Christ and the good work you do with young people on bases all around Australia. I wonder if, before I let you go, have you got a a, a quick, uh, in a nutshell, uh, thought or two about what's happening with Youth for Christ today? Yeah, well, Youth for Christ is about peer-to-peer evangelism and discipleship. And Billy Graham was the first evangelist. And so we have found that a lot of young people, they don't know how to share the gospel and they don't know how to disciple. And in today's world, we have to be sharing the gospel, sharing a testimony. Many of them actually haven't got a testimony in the sense they don't. um, There's a lot of young people in the church who are not... Um, are not born again or they're not converted or they're not transformed. So um, that's what we're all about. We see that, um, and we've discussed all of this today, the influence of the ideas and all of those sort of things. We see that one of the biggest problems is discipleship. And so we are very big on discipleship um, and also prayer. You know, all the revivals start with prayer and this the Jesus revolution, that spontaneous combustion of revival amongst the young people. Actually, um, I talk about prayer. Uh, there were groups praying. There was one group of old women that were praying for like 50 years that no one knows about and they may never know about unless they read the book. But, um, Neil, just to wrap up, I want to say please buy my book. We're, being, we're launching it this month. It's available, yfc.org.au, and all of the proceeds go back into the mission of, of discipling and evangelism and training young people. So um, please uh, buy the book. Well, buy the book, and while you're there, make an extra donation and uh, sign up all of your young people to be a part of Youth for Christ. Uh, What a great organisation it is. Uh, Cindy McGarvey is the National Director of Youth for Christ, and yes, I'm highly recommending this book, The Next Revolution, Resisting the Cult of Self, the website yfc.org. And as Cindy says, when you buy the book, you're supporting Youth for Christ. Cindy, wonderful getting your insights. I might just mention that you've written a number of books now, and I think I've had an opportunity to speak to you uh, when you wrote The Lost Boys, uh, Bringing Them Home, and another one, an earlier one, The Jesus Revolution, Real and Radical. And listeners might want to get a hold of all your books while they're on the YFC website, yfc.org.au. Cindy McGarvey, thank you so much for sharing your heart with us today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 